Hey guys, and welcome to Fatherhood. You are listening to the Dad's Group Podcast, a place where you and I get to connect with incredible leaders, shape the future of fatherhood together, and dig deeper into what is happening inside the minds and hearts of new and expecting fathers. In this episode, we'll be listening to Sam Gladhill, who is a nuclear medicine technologist, which I think is pretty cool, by training and has more than 20 years of experience in the healthcare and research sectors. He is currently working as Global Director and Digital Health at Movember who are a massive and amazing support to Dad's group. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we all meet on today. I'd like to pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people we have listening to this episode today. Cheers guys and enjoy. Welcome Sam. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, where are you calling in from Sam? So I'm dialing in from Melbourne. I'm in the Southern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, uh, enjoying some, a break in the uh, in the rainy, miserable weather, but uh, I'm looking forward to today's chat for sure. Awesome, and uh, we've also got Blair as well. Hi, Blair. Did you want to say say anything? Blair will be chiming in with anything where um, Sam or I make a mistake. Um, I might. I'd like to say hello, <laughs> Blair. Where are you dialing in from? I'm uh, from Oberudonga, still. Awesome. Yeah, it is a fresh morning yeah you are not me no. <laughs> no, yeah um yeah so sam we had a chat yesterday it was really great to to get to know you sorry for calling on a public holiday down there i hope you ended up being able to watch the game i hope that you're yeah watch a bit of the game although i've got to say it's a little bit disappointing as a hawthorne supporter um my kids were cheering for collingwood and it kind of hurt a little bit so uh <laughs> Well, I've never stood and talked to the boys about their priorities. <laughs> yeah, that's actually raised a good question, Sam. Like, for your kids to have a win and you to have a loss, where is like, what, is that a win for you or a loss for you? How does that equate when you become a father? Well, I've been advocating very strongly that they're Hawthorne supporters. Uh, and young Charlie, the eight year old, he's he's on board. He's he's 100% Hawks through and through, but uh, they're having a bit of a struggle this year, the Hawks, and they're, they're not winning as many games. And so it's hard to explain to an eight year old. Um, that all of their success happened just before he was born. And we're in a bit of a rebuilding phase, but by the time he's a teenager, it'll all become good again. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to navigate that pathway at the moment. <laughs> that does sound complex. It sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of it. Um, Sam, we chatted a few about a few things yesterday that we might cover today. Uh, we talked about working dads, your role with Movember, your personal ex- experience, you know, failure and, and success, and also your background in that medical space and radiology, et cetera. Um, I guess today I thought I might start with uh, an, a question that is quite an open-ended question, but what fatherhood means to you personally? Um, what fatherhood means to me personally? So um, I think it's really interesting uh, to, when we talk about like who we are as men, quite often um, when, you, when you meet someone for the first time, the, the very first question you ask or the very first question you get asked is, what do you do? And we tend to be defined, I think, a lot by the career that we're in or the job that we've chosen. Um, and I don't often hear people say, "I'm a, I'm a dad. I, I've got these kids, or I've got, you know, or, or I've got a family that's made up of my kids and my partner's kids." And we don't, we don't tend to generally identify ourselves as fathers first. Whereas I think women tend to be much better at it. So often when women meet, they're like, "Oh, tell us about yourself." They're like, "Oh, I'm a mum of three, and I." and a marketing executive or whatever. Like it, it always seems to be the opposite way right around for, 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 um, for the women that I know anyway. 
And, um, and so I think that's really interesting. So fatherhood for me, or I think the challenge for fatherhood for me is to think about how we can actually lift the profile of what it means to be a dad, because actually it's a fundamentally more important job than anything you get paid for, I reckon. Yeah, that's good. And, and in your experience, um, you, you grew up with a father or without a father. Tell us about that experience. For you. Yeah, my, my dad, my dad is still around. We still see dad fairly often. So um, I live in kind of uh, suburban Melbourne and I grew up down on the Mornington Peninsula. So a little bit out of town. And, uh, and they still, mum and dad still live, uh, still live out of town. So fairly standard nuclear family. So mum, dad, me, I've got a younger sister. She's two years younger than me. So pretty, like pretty scripted, like, you know, it's a pretty, uh, pretty regulation, uh, uh, orthodox family. Um, and uh, grew up in a standard, you know, fairly standard white suburban living, you know, probably uh, the one thing I'd say is as I've gotten older and reflect on the opportunities and privilege that I had growing up, I think there's probably... Um, you don't realise until you have a chance to reflect on it that actually those existences are really privileged and we're really fortunate. And, and, and I think now I'm starting to experience the gratitude for that, particularly, I think, with my relationship with my dad. Um, you know, dad and I are now really good mates, but we haven't always been. And I think that's a challenge that I think a lot of blokes face as well. Like there is this sort of, uh, once you kind of hit your teenage years and you're growing independence, you want to kind of move away from those, um, you know, those paternal structures that have kind of defined what you can and can't do. You push the boundaries, you push the edges and you start to, you know, um, you start to revolt a little bit. Um, but it's since I've had kids, um, I've found myself leaning on dad a lot more than I did uh, when I was much, much younger and in a really enjoyable way too. And I hope, he feels the same <laughs> i might just be annoying the crap out of him with stupid <laughs> questions but uh <laughs> but he answers anyway yeah no that's um that sounds like it's a pretty good question to ask him but uh you, i was going to ask you what was some of the things that you saw made that change you know as we all have struggles with our parents mums or dads um sometimes over over your lifetime you have you know things that change in your circumstances that bring you closer together and uh, you referenced your, your, your children uh, were, were part of that. Can you tell us a bit about what that might have looked like and um, and how that felt for you? So I think it was probably uh, an acknowledgement that um, fatherhood's actually really tough. Like it's it's hard work and you've got to put a lot into it. And I think having my own kids and watching my kids grow up kind of made me reflect a little bit on um, and, and made me sort of see for the first time the effort that he put into to us growing up as kids. Um, and, and, and of course, it was a different time back then. So, you know, I, I, was, I was born in the mid 70s. So, um, you know, that 70s and 80s period was very traditional, you know, dad's the breadwinner, mum's stay at home mum. Like that, that was kind of how we grew up and that was the sort of environment we lived in and so dad was working really hard and trying to put you know food on the table and put money in the bank and um but but I didn't realize just what that meant until I sort of started to experience it myself and go oh actually and we um we're now in a sort of dual income household um and as we think about all the things that we're trying to do for our kids I think to myself sometimes geez it must have been rough doing this on one income you know 30 years ago 40 years ago yeah. Um, so I guess the next question I had for you, thanks for that. I think that's really awesome to get an insight into, I guess, you know, your fathering, but also looking back up at your experience of fatherhood and also understanding that, you know, it's actually very difficult for us and it would have been equally difficult for our dads. 
Um, but in that, and over time, you sometimes life gives you that opportunity to, I guess, you know, reshape that relationship and and have a bit more respect for for their um for what you you may have once or I may have once thought was uh, an unfair element of parenting that you yeah like, oh my goodness no you you actually did really well that's um yeah it's, yeah it's important when I when I first joined Movember um I joined Movember in 2012 and the annual campaign that year was uh, called Movember and Sons and it was part of a three-part creative series um that we did so we did three campaigns um faced uh, focused on um, in the first year, it was uh, the Modern Gentleman, uh, and then there was a Country Gentleman series, and then the last one was Movember and Sons, and it was a kind of third um, of a trilogy of campaigns. And Movember and Sons was really focused about um, the not the transfer and knowledge, the transfer and power of knowledge up and down between generations. And Trav, our um, founder and and creative guru, um, explained it in in the in the season launch uh, by saying he said, "Remember, like when." you're growing up and you, you have a family barbecue and your dad won't let anyone near the barbecue because it's his domain. You're not allowed in. You have to like, he's, oh, and then he said, there comes a time in your life where your mum taps you on the shoulder and says, for God's sake, could you go out and stop your dad burning mistakes on the barbecue? And you go over and you take over the barbecue. Like there is this kind of transition of knowledge. And, and so you take all of the wisdom that you've learned from your dad um, or your father figures around the world and, uh, and you channel it in and then you start to share it back up, up the chain. So this is kind of, you know, the beautiful kind of reversal at some point in your life. And it feels like, um, I, I certainly feel like I've been through that transition with my dad, that now we've gone from this sort of, you know, up and down relationship to a much more side to side, um, you know, much more um, collegiate relationship, which is, uh, which I think is um, a, a significant turning point. Yeah, that's great. And when would you say that happened? Like, in is this a year ago, six years ago, ten years ago? Uh, I want to say it's it's certainly. I, I can't pinpoint an exact moment. I feel like, it, but it kind of transitioned. I think over probably the last, uh, probably at least maybe in the last five to ten years. Yeah, and your kid, your children are thirteen and. I've got a thirteen-year-old and an eight-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's interesting to see that that deny, that dynamic between the age of your children, those relationship changes with your parents. I know for me, it was a similar. Um, space of transitioning into how you connect with your parents and and how they I guess they they turn from a um, uh, you know someone who supports you to someone who sometimes supports your children mm. um, and, and in that phase um, I think someone someone wrote the other day it's funny how I used to have to ask my mum and dad if I could go out and now as an adult with young kids I still have to ask my mum <laughs> if I can go out <laughs> Too true, too true. And my uh, my in laws are four hours away, so uh, and and mine are about an hour away. So uh, so we've got you know, we have to plan in advance. I think that's probably the the big fundamental difference we've got in our lives compared to maybe my my upbringing was that uh, that support is actually a little way away, and, and we have to be much more coordinated and uh, and forward thinking. Sam, you with Movember, you do some pretty cool stuff with Movember. You've got a quite an interesting job title, which is Global Director of Digital Programs. Is that right? Yeah, Global Director of Digital Health. So um, I've got a team. Uh, I'm very fortunate to work with a very talented team who uh, have got responsibility across all of our digital health programs. So um, by there, I'm talking websites and apps that focus on direct-to-man 
um, interventions. So in the prostate cancer space, we've got a product called True North, which is a, a sort of, we're aiming to be the go-to resource for men who've been diagnosed and treated with prostate cancer to get tools and resources that they need to help them through that journey and improve their quality of life and improve um, their how they work through the some of the issues around treatment in prostate cancer. Um, similar thing in testicular cancer, we've got a product called Nuts and Bolts. Um, which is a platform that men can go to to work their way through the diagnosis and treatment for testicular cancer, get support from um, from people who've been there before. So, you know, the vision for for nuts and bolts is that we we see a world where no man goes through testicular cancer without a community to reach out to, and the knowledge and power that he can get back to living as healthy and 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 healthy and long as life as possible. Um, and then on the mental health side, um, we've got a couple of different portfolios. We've got the fathers and relationships portfolio. Um, which is where I know you've done some work with Mark Dads in, in the past. So Mark Dads has done some great work, uh, great parenting programs in the academic world. And um, one of the powers I think that Movember brings or that the team um, that I'm fortunate enough to work with bring is we can create um, really, really um, unique and beautiful user experiences that really engage with men and take things that take the evidence base that's been built up in an academic setting and then kind of translate it and, and, and scale it to the masses and, and do it in a way that we know engages with men, do it in a way that we know will actually lure men in and give them you know, some a feeling like this is their space and, and let them feel a sense of belonging. Uh, so we've got the fathers and relationships and the other part of the, the portfolio is... Um, Again, thinking about that notion of scaling what works, we've got a program called Ahead of the Game, which is for young men in sport. And that's that's leveraged off some academic work uh, called Your Path to Success, which is about mental health resilience and literacy. So, uh, so then, then that's a hybrid model where um, some of it's delivered through, um, through uh, on, uh, sorry, in, in-person facilitated workshops, and then um, other parts of it are delivered in an online um, app-based uh, setting. Uh, and that's been a really interesting journey. We've partnered with Rugby League Cares in uh, in the UK to deliver that to rugby clubs throughout the north of England. That it's been a really uh, successful program. Awesome. So it's quite broad scope of of work that you're doing with Movember. Um, and that the 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 point around you know, as we, obviously we work with new fathers and the expecting father space in that perinatal period. Um, Family Man is a program that you talked about. Now, how would we engage? So how how would we share um, with new, a new father uh, how to engage with this and, and why? I, I guess the most important thing is, you know, you're you're expecting a new father, you've got a little baby, um, two weeks old, you've got sleepless nights, you've hopefully got on some to some parenting uh, work leave, some parental leave. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, you're struggling, it's night time and you haven't had much sleep and why family men? Yeah, so Family Man's um, targeted probably for slightly older kids. So probably, two, for, so the target age for the children for Family Man is two to eight. So it would be something you'd probably want to get into to prepare you for perhaps the journey you're about to embark on. But I think um, the core of your question is like, why Family Man? We believe that Family Man is the first um, parenting program targeted specifically for dads. It's not exclusively for dads. Um, there's a great deal of um, research that shows that mums can get as much out of this uh, as, as dads do. But what we do know is that um, the bulk of the um, education and service and, and support that's provided in that peri and postnatal period is focused on mums. Um, and we see a lot, of, a lot of effort focused on mother-child bonding. There's uh, maternal health uh, nursing care. There's all sorts of after, sort of after delivery care that you get as a mum we don't see a high level of engagement from dads. And part of that is sort of 
structural and historical um, that, that that's not been something that they've been, there's been an enormous amount of demand for, but I think that that is shifting. And I think that it's groups like dad's group that I think are really sort of pushing the envelope and saying, Hey, listen, we're, we're 50% of the audience here. We need, to, we need some support as well. Right. And so I think um, I would say how, why, why family man, it's something that, Again, Movember's got this unique sweet spot of being able to speak to men in a language that they understand and speak to them in a way that resonates. So you're going to get straight up and down advice from a family man um, that's delivered in a way that you get, that just kind of makes sense and, and that you understand. So I think it's probably, um, whilst it's not exclusively for dads, it's probably one of the opportunities we've got as Movember to talk to dads and give them some tools and resources and some tips and tricks to help them along the journey. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's great to hear. Uh, I mean, the, the point you're making there is, is an interesting one around, it's not exclusively for dads, but it is actually the one that is designed with dads in mind. It is, yeah. you know, so as a father or a father figure, you know that it's being designed for you, um, which is different to, let's say, the Department of Health and their health programs and their, you know, all the different programs that come out of the uh, Department of Health and Department of Social Services they've got family programs, <clears throat> unfortunately, our culture, you know, as you would, you would probably agree, uh, you've kind of referenced before, shapes parenting around mum's role. And that's a cultural thing, not necessarily um, how people want to do it these days. Mm. And I think um, what's exciting about Family Man and, um, and those types of programs is they haven't designed it as a family support program where dad can come if he wants to. They've designed it as a father focus program where anyone can benefit from it but it's you know it's it's making the statement that fathers are very important in that in that in that space um and if we support fathers and i think this is probably aligned with our our beliefs and, and principles if we support fathers better we're going to have better um relationship support for mums and dads and yep. we're also going to help better improve the childhood development outcomes of that child so it's not. It's it's looking at the father from a holistic perspective, um, and being able to support that whole you know new family space because we know it's particularly high risk for mums yep. uh, and infants and for dads uh, in those you know whether it be isolation, anxiety, suicide, family violence, or yep. poor childhood outcomes. And yeah, I, I, I think you're 100 spot on, and I, and I think that whilst the the, the work that Movember does is is focused on supporting men. The collateral benefit of better support for men actually includes better support for whole communities and whole and the and society as a whole. So um, it's not like we are saying we should only be focused on men's health at the cost of of anything else. Actually, the, the evidence is quite strong that if you support any particular group, um, there is collateral benefit to other groups and there is other benefit that can be had um, that broadens the scope and the impact of, of what you of the particular focus that you've got. That's, it's so great to see that. And is there, do you foresee more things coming out in this fatherhood space with Movember? Yeah, I think so. I think certainly um, the way we approach, um, from getting a little bit technical, but the way we approach our product is we look at, um, we look at product market fit and we identify a market, we identify an unmet need and we've got, we've now got Family Man um, in market and it's now, you know, doing really, really well. Um, as we think about then, okay, where can we grow and what scope and scale can we put around 
um, this particular product? Can we can we go into different market segments? Can we go into different elements? Can we solve different problems? Those questions are constantly being asked by our product teams. And so I think there's absolutely a space where we can say something along the lines of, hey, well, if this is targeting you know, parent dads of kids age two to eight, is there an opportunity for us to leak that market forward and say, what about in pre, what about pre-walking and, and, and toddler age kids? Can we start to think about, is there, is there modules or is there pieces of the, of the puzzle that we can start to solve for that, for that group? And equally at the other end of the spectrum, we say, actually, once kids start to get into that preteen hormonal um, maelstrom that certainly I know I'm living through at the moment, um, can we, can we find, you know, tools and resources that might help those uh, people as well. So I think absolutely the products are intended to grow and I think they will over time for, for yeah, sure. Fantastic. Well, that's awesome. As you know, or you, you may be aware, our approach with Dad's Group is to connect the best available resources to dads as fast as we can. So it's actually about family man's great, but how do we get it to the dads? How does, mm. how does every, you know, dad of a two-year-old know about family man? And one thing you can do is do a big, you know, promotional campaign, but how do we how do we um, spread that message faster and more effectively? And we want to be able to help um, Movember and Panda and SMS for Dads and those types of organisations who are delivering digital or remote delivery support programs or remote hotlines for dads, so that we so that they can actually fathers can know there's not just this, but there's a, there's a suite of products now that weren't around ten years ago. Yeah, um, they're actually tried and tested, they're evidence-based, the outcomes have, have been demonstrated and uh, they're helpful. Uh, and, and that's our, our hope. So I think as you grow in, as Movember grows, and you know, we also work with you in a number of different pockets and projects that we're doing, including this one, it's an opportunity to collaborate towards a better, healthier family outcome with fathers yeah. in mind, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, Sam, absolutely. You talked about, um, that maelstrom teenage challenging years, I'm gonna jump across to a question around. So firstly, I'll tell you the reason why we, we ask a question like this um, is because it helps uh, helps all of us feel normalized. So you're, you're here as the, the expert um, uh, and the expert interview, um, but also you are like Blair or like myself, you are an awesome dad with his failings. Can you share us one of your failings in that maybe in that teenage or maybe early years? Tell, tell us something where you feel like you didn't nail it, um, but there's, you know, but maybe uh, there's something that you've learned from that that you could share with. Yeah, you, you gave me a heads up that you'd ask me this question and I've been thinking about it. And in actual fact, there, there's a lot to choose from uh, in terms of where, where, I've, where I've stepped and, and erred um, in my own parenting journey. But I think... Um, a really recent example, and I think there's probably two. One's a really good one, and, and one's a not so. One's a good success story, and one's a not such a good success story. So on the failing side, um, my oldest uh, is 13. He's just started high school, and he's going into year seven this year. And he's going to a school where he none of he's going to a separate school to where his mates from primary school went. So he didn't know anyone at the new school. And so we were a little bit concerned that, you know, we wanted to make sure he settled in, that he made some mates and that he, you know, <clears throat> got himself uh, a good group of friends around him. Uh, we're now at the end of, uh, or halfway through the year, end of semester one. And, uh, and the good news is he's, uh, he's made a whole host of really, really good mates. Like these, the, the, the unit that he's put together is a really, really tight group of really, really good friends. Um, the problem is that that doesn't translate much into a lot of schoolwork. And so we've been on him a lot uh, for the last uh, six months or four months, 
saying, come on, surely you've got home. And, and it, there's this just like vagueness around. He's just not used to being in, a, in an environment where, you know, he has to think about what homework he's got to do. He has to think about what work has to be done. He has to plan and be prepared. And, and so we're on him all the time. Uh, Emma, my wife and I are on, constantly on him all the time. And, and, uh, and I think so the, the point I'm getting to, the failing bit is I know, and I know in my heart of hearts and my, my intellectual brain tells me You've got to find something positive. All he hears from the world at the moment are negative things. All he hears about is you've got to do this. You have to do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to you know, get onto this. Do that. And everyone's telling him what to do and everyone's giving him instructions and everyone's telling him off when he doesn't do it. And I don't want to be part of that voice. Uh, but I can't tell you how many times I've walked into his room and he's not been doing his homework or I've walked into something else and there's another, I get another note from the school saying he hasn't done this piece of work. And I walk in, I'm like, come on, what are you doing? And there's a there's a tiny little voice in the back of my head going, Sam, you're an idiot. What are you? Like you're just you're just making this problem worse. Yeah. Like you're not helping. Stop. But I, I just can't stop. And then the guilt that comes straight after that, like within 15 seconds, I walk out of the room and I go, Oh, that was not, that was not good. That wasn't what I was meant to do. I'm not being a good dad right now. Um, so I think. So I, I, I agree. I, fatherhood is tough and it gets tougher. <laughs> but um, at least I think the bit that saves me, the bit that saves my sanity is that I know the more parents I talk to, they're all having the exact same conversations with their 13-year-old kids, um, particularly boys. Um, so I know that it's not something that's unique to us. Um, and I know that I'm not unique in that I'm not the only dad shouting at his kids about not doing his, not doing their homework. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't feel guilty. As soon as it's done, I'm like, that is not, the, the, no one's writing a book about how to go in and shout at your kids. That's not how it works. <laughs> hey, Sam, that was such a wonderful example. And it was so truthful and I resonated with it. I know that anyone who hears that will resonate with that, whether your child is seven, you know, 27 or uh, seven, you know, maybe a, a toddler, 17 months old. Um, it's hard and you've just demonstrated that so well. And you haven't come to it with like, you know, this is bad, but this is the solution. It's just, it's just not great, you know? Yeah, and yeah. You've, you've outlined such an important part. It's just not great. And I'm suffering through it and I, I suck at it and I feel guilty. In the, and the, the best thing about this place is actually just the fact that everyone else is, you know, I'm, I'm in good company. And I think yeah. that message is so powerful because we don't always, as I'm not sure if it's a male thing or not, but we like to give solutions. We like to yeah. say, here's a failing and here's a solution and here's the bad and here's the good. Um, we don't like to sit in that space of going, ah, oh, this is not great. And I think you've just demonstrated that and role played that so well. And that's what we seek to do is be okay with it not being okay and be in company of people who can actually, uh, I guess, uh, support each other in that space. And that's exactly what you've said. You've got those other parents, they just by being them and just by being there are supporting you and your, yeah. literally your mental health. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, what you've just you've outlined is something that resonates with with everyone in that parenting space. It's it's challenging and there isn't always a solution, but it's about riding through the storm and knowing that others have gone through before you. As you mentioned, your father before, yep. uh, he's gone through that storm and the outcome of that. Um, there's positives and negatives and challenges and good things that, you know, in your character you would identify with. Um, but but over the time, the things that were challenging for you, you've even demonstrated 
they've come back and turned a full circle to, to a respectful relationship with your dad and, and around that. And you could only hope and expect that that might happen, you know, with, with your children. So it's pretty yeah. awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the positive side, uh, it was his birthday not that long ago and uh, he had a party on the weekend. We went to uh, bounce the trampoline uh, place and uh, he had sort of, you know, 13 or 14 of his mates come along. And as I was watching him interact with his mates, um, it was just really, it was just amazing to see this group that have formed such really, really tight bonds in, the, in a re relatively short period of time over their first semester at school. But anyway, we were, um, after the party, we came home and we were reading through the birthday cards that they sent him. And um, I was really touched because these, these young boys had written the most beautiful things inside these cards. They'd written, you know, hey, Henry, thanks for being such a good mate. It's, uh, I'm so pleased you're in my class at school and, you know, I had a lot of fun and someone else had written, geez, I hope we get to spend more time together through our high school. And, you know, I'm really enjoying having you in my class. And, and I kind of, it was staggering to me. I, I can't imagine as a 13 year old me that I'd have written something like that in a birthday card to a mate, uh, particularly early on in our friendship. Um, so I really kind of am, am, I'm hopeful that as we look into future generations, that actually this notion around vulnerability and expressing yourself and, and being open to emotion is something that I hope future generations, uh, it feels like we're headed in the right direction anyway. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and, I, and I, I think like the, in my opinion, pockets of our culture are doing that well. Pockets are not. And I think yeah. our job in, in, in your job, my job, Blair's job in this space is to do your little bit and what your little bit, um, you know, you, you work for the biggest men's health charity in the world um, and your little bit uh, will make a big difference in the way that you do it. But someone else might be just um, in, a, in, a, in a job that isn't as influential from the fatherhood space, but they are part of a community, they are part of a family uh, and their little bit is equally as important. And I think today you've touched on some, some really key things around vulnerability and um, identifying failure and, and sitting with failure and but also looking at the bigger picture around making a concerted effort to, to um, I guess, design a better future for your, your own personal family, but also in your professional life, you know, for other families. And, and, and maybe that'll change the narrative for to some of these thousands of isolated new fathers or, or, or you know, older fathers uh, in the future. Um, yeah, and I, I'm I'm very privileged. I do get the chance to work um, in a large organisation that does this you know, every day of the week. But but that doesn't diminish. I think you you made this point. That doesn't diminish the fact that someone in a sporting club somewhere on the in in the mid coast of New South Wales or up in Albury Wodonga with you, Blair, someone sitting at that footy club saying, turning to his mate saying, "Geez, I'm really struggling with the kids this week," and his mate says to him, "Well, hey mate, so am I." That can be just as impactful for that for those two as anything that, that we have the privilege to be able to do through our respective organizations. So whilst we've got a microphone to be able to shout into and, and say these things, um, the actions and behaviors, I think, of people in the community and of you know dads getting around other dads around the world, mm. um, there's, there's an enormous power in that. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Yes, last night we were talking with the, some, some of the, on men's talk uh, for National Men's Health Week, and there was a, a, a guy over there who's done exactly that. He's a local fatherhood champion. He's done his little bit, started a dad's group, and now there's 400 members of his dad's group. You know, new new fathers, young babies, all this kind of stuff. And he's just doing it his way, which his way is, is they're doing, you know, paddleboarding trips and fitness things in their group. And, 
you know, it's just beautiful to see that, you know, someone's little bit is only they can do that. And it's the same way that we talk about fatherhood. You can only, you're the only guy who's going to be the dad to your children. And yeah. Virtue of that, you, you are the best dad in the world because you are the best dad in the world, and and that's that's an appropriate term to be to, to be for you. But only you can do your bit, and uh, it's yeah. about stopping, reflecting, and thinking about what is my bit or what do I want my bit to be. What what's going to count it, with all the limitations that we have? And um, yeah, it's really awesome to to hear your your story in that space. Um, a, a tip or a piece of encouragement to a new father, given that our audience is largely new and expecting fathers, you, if you, you might want to reflect on your time. As a um, yeah, I've got a, I've got a great tip, but it wasn't given to me. So I have to, I have to attribute this uh, <laughs> appropriately. Um, one of the great dads that I work with, a guy called Jeremy, um, he, we were talking about fatherhood at work one day and he said um, he was a very nervous new dad uh, and he was, you know, he's just petrified. He's going to stuff it up. And, and he's now got three beautiful girls. Um, and he was, uh, he, on the very uh, first uh, uh, perinatal visit that they went to, to the hospital, um, he went along with his wife and, and he said to the nurse, look, I'm really, I'm really scared that I'm going to stuff this up. Like, I really want to get this right. Like I, I, I'm, I'm petrified that I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. And, uh, and she looked him in the eye and she said, um, mate, you're here and you're trying your best. You've already won the lottery. You're already doing the best you can. And that is all that your kids can hope for. So just keep turning up and just keep doing your best. And I think that's, that's all we can do, right? Is just keep turning up, keep being there and just doing the best we can. Um, that is all our kids expect of us. I think you and I had a really great conversation yesterday, Tom, about how forgiving kids are. They know that we're going to get this wrong from time to time and no one forgives you more than your own kids, but they can only do that if you're there to start with. Right. So just be there, just be there and try your best. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true. And, um, you know, I've been the beneficiary of, of forgiveness they don't deserve. And I think every father in the world either has or, or will be the beneficiary of forgiveness they don't deserve. And I can't explain why our children do that but the evidence and the research there demonstrates that they continue to give you the benefit of the doubt way more than they would to anyone else. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, There's no skepticism in your own kids, is there? No. And, <laughs> and so we have, you know, the opportunity um, and the, I guess the responsibility to use that trust and that over, you know, that, that love that they've given us for, for whatever we choose to do with that. And we can choose to, you know, be absent and, and move away from that because it's too hard or we can just sit in that hard space with them as the storm goes through and then realise that was all we needed to do was just, as you say, be there. Yeah. And I think um, the world has kind of shifted around us now. This pandemic has taught us that uh, due, due to, and, um, you know, as a Victorian, we know what being locked down feels like. And there was a lot of time where actually all we could do was turn up and be there because we had no choice during those lockdowns but as we emerge from this pandemic and the world shifts towards hybrid working models mm. where you know i now work two to three days from home and two to three days in an office and i think that's probably for the mo for the majority of working dads that's probably going to be the scenario unless you're on the tools or you know you've, you've got a job or you're a health worker where you've got to go to a place to do your work but for a lot of office play office-based workers um there is this hybrid world emerging mm. um and that gives you great latitude. So I can now do school drop-offs and school pickups 
um, and, and go if I need to, or I can arrange my day so that I can go to an assembly if my kid's getting an award or I can, you know, be around. So I can do, I worked this year, I worked at the, uh, the Mother's Day stall so that the poor old mums who organised it didn't have to know what they were getting for, as a gift on Mother's Day when they, uh, when, when they got the crappy little presents that they open up uh, on, a, on a Sunday morning. But uh, we'll, edit out, we'll edit out crappy. <laughs> well, at the, at the price point of two dollars, you can't. You don't oh, get much choice. <laughs> but uh, but but I think that that freedom to be able to do that has really been amazing for me. Like it's really been great, particularly with my young son Charlie, who's still in primary school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been fantastic to be able to just be around and see him and go and pick him up after school. And and what I'm seeing at the school is there's plenty more dads doing pickups and drop offs now than there would have been maybe five years ago. Yeah, yeah. So the culture is changing and, and we're all having a, a small but important influence on that, which is, I think it's really exciting to see. And it's, it's amazing to, to hear about your work in that kind of global space, Sam, but then also to bring it back to just the school and the Mother's Day fair and, you know, your kids and, and struggling through it. Like that's, that's what we're all, we've all got a similar story of, you know, the big picture, but then the small picture and the dishes need to be done, the laundry needs to be done, the lawns need to be cut. Um, the kids need to be spent one-on-one time with you know I know that's something for me that over the years has been uh, like spending time with all my three kids is is always done but spending time one-on-one is is less done and and I think that's Mm. another thing that we can um, we can we can possibly talk about at another another time I do have another question it's around the digital space Um, it's probably hopefully it doesn't unpack a Pandora's box or a can of worms but digital health into the future is as you would expect uh, sorry as you would perceive is quite exciting otherwise you wouldn't be in the role that you're in Mm. so tell me a bit about what you think the digital space might become in the future specifically for you know men's and father's health yeah i think it's it's very hard to kind of crystal ball where tech might go but one thing we know is that the the rate of change the rate of growth and the rate of innovation in tech isn't slowing down like we, we, we're we're not getting we're not getting slower at developing new things and new technologies and you look at how even in the space of think about when we grew up no one had a phone at high school when i was going through high school and then everyone it was at the kind of very tail end of high school people started getting a phone so they could ring people like and now ringing people on your phone is the last thing you do with it like it does it does everything else first and then eventually oh yeah and you can make calls on it as well like it's uh the, the growth and, and, and explosion of technology um, is extraordinary. Um, and I think it's only accelerating. So who knows what's coming in terms of new tech that might be on the horizon. Um, and this interconnected world where, you know, everyone now has high-speed internet connections in their homes. And, and I think recent data says that even in like across the US, um, the smartphone usage penetrates around about something, something in incredible like 95 percent of the population have access to a smartphone more people have access to a smartphone than they do to three meals a day um so it's incredible how um intensely reliant we've become on technology um so what what does the future look like i think the future looks like whole host like data is the new oil right like everyone's selling data everyone's trading data everyone's and people are starting to wake up and going oh, actually maybe i need to be a little bit more protective of my data maybe i need to think about what what i'm telling people about who i am and and what i do and so i think there's all sorts of frontiers that are going to be navigated across the next sort of five to ten years um 
but certainly things like wearables, the internet of things, the connectivity between devices is something that's going to become, I think, fairly um, ubiquitous across just about everything we do because it's an enabler of, of, um, of things. It enables people to not have to worry so much about labour as much as they have to worry about the other more kind of philosophical types of their, their world, the things like being a good yeah. being a good dad you know being a you can concentrate yeah. on the in the innately human things and let the machines do the machiney type things yeah i think that's interesting to see that perspective and as you design you know with movember more and more interventions in that digital space that genuinely help thousands possibly tens of or hundreds of thousands of people you can see that there's great benefit to that um the flip side of that as as you know i you, you know my pers perspective is that there's there's help and then there's then there's help, and one of them they're both important. Some of them might be digital, some of them might be face to face. But where do you sit in that space? You know, and I don't want to be too controversial, but in in your role of switching off. Yeah, it's a it's a really important question, and I certainly see again going just just reflecting on my own experience. Mm. Um, my my son went into year seven, and he's going to be catching a train or a bus to and from school from time to time. And so we bought him a phone uh, and gave him a phone uh, as part of his, you know, you're out, of high, you're out of primary school, you're into high school. We need to be able to contact you in case something goes wrong or you need to be able to contact us. So here's a phone. Um, and it seems to be a fairly standard rite of passage. Um, I, certainly we didn't, we, we weren't the exception to any of our friends who've got kids going into high school. It was about the age that people start, kids start to use technology. Right. Um, but it's really opened our eyes a lot to just how addictive these things are. Like we never, like we're gonna have to, we're now having serious conversations about how much control do we want to put around the usage of that phone? Because it's it's not something that innately we can trust him to mm. self-monitor and self-regulate. Mm. Um, so we're gonna have to put some controls around that because it's uh, it's amazing just how quickly and how, how readily he was able to adapt to becoming essentially addicted to this device in his hand. Um, and so you're right, the, the challenge is how do, we, how do we on the one hand both enable these great enabling technologies that can really push frontiers and push the health and push digital health forward. But at the same time, sometimes those things are not going to be tech. And so, you know, the old Spider-Man saying is probably a great one. With great power comes great responsibility, right? So I think that there is, interestingly, I saw a headline of an article that TikTok are now actively creating elements of their product or features within their product to stop people from continuously scrolling through their their platform like they're acting they're now sort of taking the responsibility to say we know that people are spending far too much time just mindlessly scrolling through cat videos on tiktok um we need to put a stop to that mm. and so they're actively discouraging people to use their product and there's an interesting i think there'll be an interesting sort of revolution um in the tech space to say how do we where, where do we put the boundaries because yeah. it's one thing to get people in into the door and get them using your product, but then you've got a responsibility to make sure you're not doing any harm with that product. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and there's there's you know unintended harm in, in so many of the different elements of what we do, and that's why it's so important to work with the experts in universities to give some evidence for your or work on the evidence for your program to make sure that you're you're limiting the negative outcomes for that. And I think you know in our world we're wanting to build human relationships father to father uh, with their babies because we know in that space uh, essentially the magic happens there's what you talked about before there's that sense of normalizing the challenges 
there's also that sense of um, I'm being supported just by having you know some time or a coffee. I'm actually being supportive to my partner or my wife who's having you know a sleep in or or some time off or spending some time catching up with friends, um, and I'm also bonding with my infant. So that you know to us. That is the goal. If we can get you know mm. as many fathers to that experience in the perinatal period, then that's what we're we're aiming to achieve. Um, but there's a really important space, and and Blair will attest to this is is actually getting them there in the same way that it takes you know five or or ten nudges for someone to purchase a product. Like you know, Family Man would be no different, and and our yep. digital programs need to nudge and connect and reconnect and re remind and remind again and then invite. Um, to our actual events. So it's, it's important to know where digital can support that, that overall outcome. But unless you have that overall, you know, outcome that isn't simply scrolling on TikTok, then as health program designers and, uh, uh, you know, creating and innovating new models of care for fathers, it's, in, it's, it's so critical that, you, that we, we work together with different organisations and, and share each other's learning so that we don't fall into another you know pit of measuring success based on mm. number of downloads or activity because yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's, and i think it's spot on i think i think it's one of the things that i find really rewarding about uh particularly our and it's not for, it's not a dad's program but our ahead of the game program for young men in sport is actually it, it, it hits a couple of uh, of key points it is in a space where young men are already at so they're in sporting clubs already so you you're, you're leveraging a ready-built community um, but you're doing it in a face-to-face -face, um, delivery mechanism. So these kids are getting into rooms together and working through these things together. And then there's a digital element where they go off and then can continue the journey as a supplement rather than being the focus of the intervention. So I think that's a really nice, a, I really like that hybridized model where you actually get a bit of face-to-face -face time. You get a bit of that peer support, peer group building, yeah. um, delivery of the mental health literacy piece, and then, you know, you can go off and do um, work in your own pace through some of the other modules of the, the digital experience. Um, but this is where user experience is, is going. Like I think that um, whilst much of, whilst my role is in a digital health space, much of what we talk about from our user experience is actually what does the end-to-end -end experience look like across both in and out of that digital arena? Um, yeah. Because that's, that's the really important piece. Fantastic. Um... Finally, you're, you used to be in radiography and in the medical space? Yeah, I'm a nuclear medicine tech uh, by trade. Uh, not many people know what nuclear medicine is. It's a bit of a, bit of a um, boutique um, field. So I, say, I often say radiography because it's the same, uh, same undergraduate degree that you go through in radiography. Um, so x-ray technicians who take the x-rays. Um, we, uh, nuclear medicine is a field where you administer isotopes or radioactive agents into um, into the into humans into into um, bodies as either through injections or through meals or inhalation and then you track where it goes throughout the body and how it's how it's you know, how the biology of the body is consuming up these uh, radioactive traces um, so I spent uh, I spent about 15 20 years working in the hospital sector um, did a little bit of research uh, did a degree in statistics because you know why not? Everyone loves statistics, right? Um, uh, so then we went off and did a little bit of research uh, in the anaesthetics department. And then um, eventually a role came up at Movember that needed a bit of a uh, research imaging and, uh, and project management background. I kind of said, oh, I can do, I can do some of that. Let's, uh, let's give it a crack. And then that was uh, like, so that was 10 years ago, I joined Movember and it's, uh, it's been a fantastic journey since. Unreal. And um, I think, 
in that in that space that you've worked in that medical space you you mentioned yesterday that you know you do deal with people who are at that end of life chapter and that twilight zone and they're they are reflective of of what they're um what they've achieved or what they wanted to achieve or and you know in that space i think it's important for us um we might be in that space next week hopefully not but we but we will be there one day like the one thing that yeah. we're guaranteed um in in, in being born is that one day we will die. And although it's, it sounds like a bit of a morbid concept to think of, unless you think of it uh, enough in, in a positive strength-based way, we can't plan our impact or our time. Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on that, Sam? Yeah, a really, um, a really wise old uh, emergency physician uh, that we were talking to one day, I think, it, I can't even remember the context. I think he was giving a lecture, but anyway, um, he, he said, I've spent a lot of my career talking to people at the end of their life. Um, and he said, almost universally, um, or, or he said, I've never seen anyone on their deathbed turn to me and say, geez, I wish I'd worked harder during my career. Um, but he said, often you do see regret around family and relationships and, and that people say, geez, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids or I wish I'd spent more time with my family or I wish I'd spent more time. I wish I hadn't had that falling out with my brother and not spoken to him for 30 years. So it, his observation was that um, working is great and building a career is fantastic. But the thing that people at the end of their life get to and the big regret that they often have is never about not getting a promotion or not doing a particular job. It's always about relationships and families. It's powerful stuff, and and that's that's where you know we need to bring it back to there because once we get there and reflect, we don't need to reflect on it every hour of every day. But to get there, what does that mean for you? And you know what does that that mean for me? And I think it's important um, that we raise that for fathers in that transition to fatherhood because it's a window of opportunity to recalibrate what success looks like. You know, you may not be the footy star that you wanted to be by the age of thirty-two. You may not be the you know the head of the a, a partner at a law firm. Or maybe you are and you found out it just sucks being a partner. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Maybe it's, maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe it's great. I don't know. But uh, the importance of being able to have that that reflection time and, and that intentionality about what is your plan, I think um, separates us from just letting life circumstances dictate, you know, who we become, so to speak. But Sam, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful to, to get to know you and to understand you in the context of your family, in the context of your, your role as a father, and the context of your role as a professional and, and a global, you know, a global professional designing health programs for, for men across the world. It's, it's an incredible space of influence that you've got. And it's, a, it's just wonderful to, to hear that someone in that space has the values and principles that you do. So it's, it's been really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, this, this has been a, a fun chat. I've really enjoyed it. And I've, I was reflecting as we've been going through, this, is, uh, this has been a lot more about my non-professional part than it has actually been about what I do uh, for a day job. And I think as I think back to the very first question, you know, what, what, is, what does it mean to be a father? We, we often as blokes define ourselves by the job we do. But even this conversation today is just highlighted that actually what I bring uh, to this conversation, the things we've talked about, we, we spent maybe 10% or 15% of the interview talking about the job that I do and the other 80%, 85% talking about my role as a dad and, and what I bring to the table as a father. And I think that's something, I hope there's some kind of message in that, that actually what I bring to the world isn't entirely defined by my job title. What I bring to the world is defined by you know my lived experience and who I am and, and you know what I can and can't do and, 
and how good or how, how how bad I am at being a dad or being a person. And and they're the things that people should, I think, acknowledge and, and remember you for. Fantastic. I think I think if that's if that's how they perceive this interview, then we've done our job. That's very that's core to what we're aiming to achieve here. Hey, um, Blair, we're, we're finishing up now. Did you have any questions? I know you often get uh, a whole lot of time to reflect on some of the discussions and um, sometimes there's a, a, a nugget of gold or a question or a, or a prod to the, to the interviewee that you might want to um, prod him with that he hasn't like, divulged enough or, or make him shed a tear. Is that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <your answer? laughs> I was cheeky, man. I asked a bunch of questions before we actually started. So, but no, there's one, there's one, like, that's the beauty of where I'm, I'm the guy that just sits here and listens and, and that awkward guy in the background, but I get to just absorb everything that you've been saying. And, and it's really cool because what I love is just be able to, because we're in different life stages, right? My kids aren't in primary school yet even. And I get to see someone like in, in your position in, in the organization that you're in and then your life stage with your kids and all that. And I always, I love the opportunity to be able to envision myself like that in say five years and, and ask the questions like, oh, what does that look like for my family? And so that now I get the opportunity to ask you, as you've gone, because um, it's, it's that, and, and like, as you said, like it's great now that because you have that balance of going into the office and working from home, um, I, you know, for me, not going to work anymore, um, having that opportunity to be more with my kids, I've. I think my question is, um, what are you intentionally trying to invest in your kids as they can't like currently? What is like the highest value for you in, in investing in your kids? And then what does that look like? What is the practical outworking of that? Because you mentioned earlier, and I know this is a very long question. I apologize, <laughs> but you mentioned earlier um, about how um, you're not wanting to be that. Um, just that noise of negative voice of negativity to your boy because he's just getting all these corrections from all these different ways and I just had that question of oh what does that actually look like mm. but I want to make that bigger to what is your highest value and what does that practically look like you're imparting that into your family yeah so I'll, I'll start down low uh, in some of the tactical bits so um, two things that, that jump out um, off the back of that question number one is um, what are some of the tactical things that I'm that I'm kind of putting into the boys as we speak and one of them is in sport I never played a team sport when I was growing up but I've made I've made it my mission to ensure that every summer and every winter my boys both of them at um, under eights and now under 13s are playing a team sport because I think it's really important that these boys learn that there are, there are people who are going to give them guidance outside of me. And I know um, some of the work that Steve Badolph has done in, in Raising Boys talks about how, particularly once they hit sort of 10, 11, 12 years of age, boys will start to navigate away from male parental role models and they need to find some other strong male role model in their life. And I think that the opportunity to put them in sporting clubs where there are great, where we know having done our research that there are great coaches there are great role models that aren't parents um, I think is really really important so I'm, I'm really keen to make sure that both of my boys play a team sport um, during their non-school time because uh, that's really important and the other part is um, one thing that is different I think between when I grew up and when uh, and, and how I'm trying to raise my kids is that I make it a point no matter what's happened during the day no matter how horrible I've been as a dad, no matter how much I've shouted or how much of a good day it's been, um, every night when I leave the room after the boys have gone to bed, the younger one goes to bed first, 
and I go in and say goodnight to him. I make it a point every single night as I'm walking at the room to say, love you. And they say, love you too. Go into the other room with the older kid who's you know usually half an hour, an hour later. As I'm walking out the room, I say, love you. And depending on how the day's gone, he either says, love you too, or he says, mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I leave the room. But, but I make it a point for them to know that no matter what happens, no matter whether it's a good day or a bad day, that love is unconditional. That love is, that is love is continual and it's nonstop. And that, that, that the things that I say, I hope are outweighed by the things that I do. Yeah, that's great, man. That's really encouraging. And I think that's really interesting actually about the sporting situation. Cause again, we're in that stage of what do we want our kids to be involved in and all that sort of stuff as well. So that's, that's really cool, man. That's really encouraging. Thank you. And I guess it doesn't have to be sport, just to be clear. I mean, some kids are not sporty. So um, if no. it's some, some other group activity, whether it's, you know, girl guides or scouts or um, chess club or whatever, like I think being around groups and learning how to be part of a team, um, mm. I think is a really critical life skill that we're really, really keen to make sure that our kids get, ex- get exposure to. What a brilliant episode. Sam, you're an absolute legend and I just loved everything you had to share with us today. If you would like to find out more about Movember's Family Man program, which is a research-backed online parenting program designed with dads in mind, then click the Get Support tab on our website at www.dadgroup.org. Please remember to like, subscribe, and review, and please share with any dads and families that may benefit from hearing this episode. Cheers, guys, and have a great week.